You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem. I'm your host, Hanok Teller. The wave of immigration to Israel after World War I was called the Third Aliyah, the Third Ascent to come to the land of Israel. The Jewish National Fund had an ambitious plan to purchase land at any cost that was not supported by all Zionists. Usishkin and Arthur Rupin, Arthur Rupin was the one who had purchased the land where Hebrew University is located in Mount Scopus, hence it's called Rupin Campus. If I'm not mistaken, the road leading into the university is also called Rupin Road. So Usishkin argued prophetically, the cost of land in Palestine will increase from year to year, while what is not redeemed today could quite possibly never again be redeemed by us. To develop the land, the Zionists established a fund known as the Karen Hayasod, named after the street, and Vladimir, or Zev Jabotinsky, was appointed the head of its public relations. Usishkin headed to America to raise funds, and accompanying him was Albert Einstein, who was sympathetic to Zionist ideas. And here's the voice of Indy Nidell, the writer and host of Time Ghost History. Physicists, the benefits of Zionism. However, that statement does align with other views explicitly stated by Einstein. For example, in a 1929 letter, he will write, Zionism is a nationalism whose aim is not power, but dignity and health. If we did not have to live among intolerant, narrow-minded, and violent people, I should be the first to throw over all nationalism in favor of universal humanity. Anyway, by spring 1921, Einstein has clearly come around to the Zionist cause. His Years later, at the age of 72, Einstein would refuse to serve as president of the State of Israel after the death of Weizmann. The Usishkin-Einstein mission was a success, the first of other such fundraising missions. After World War I, it was like Thanksgiving, time to carve up Turkey. And that is what the League of Nations and the victorious parties of World War I did with the Ottoman Empire, which had collapsed after World War I. France got Lebanon and Syria, and Britain got a large swath that included Egypt and Palestine. The mandate to govern Palestine was for a territory far larger than what is Israel today. The British wanted to placate the Arab sensibilities as their numbers were larger, larger than the Jews, and so they divided the territory under the League of Nations mandate, giving an area of, quote, Transjordan, that had never existed before, which was, and remains, three times larger than Israel, to be totally Arab province, and Jews would not be allowed to settle or to live there. But this plan also proved to be not enough for the Arabs. Jews thought that this was an opportunity to fulfill the Balfour Declaration. But the Arabs had also looked forward to the Turks to leave, for although they were Muslims, they were not Arabs. But suddenly, there was a real Jewish presence in Israel that was growing all the time. Arabs resented the Jews' better methods in agriculture, their better conveniences, and there were riots. Riots and insurrection requires a leader, and this brings us back to the heartless troublemaker we have described earlier, and we shall yet describe at length, Chajumin al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. The most serious riot was in 1929, when there was a rumor among the Arabs that the Jews were going to build on the Temple Mount. 
Those familiar with recent history will recall that this was not the first time that the Arabs claimed that the Jews were laying waste to Al-Aqsa to stir up the mobs and result in an intifada. The rumor was not true, but that was immaterial. Khajamin al-Husseini was using it to stoke flames. Arabs began to attack Jews in Jerusalem in the middle of their prayers, and they spread throughout the country, reaching also to Hebron. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem told his followers that Jews were planning to reconstruct the temple on the site of Al-Aqsa, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and that Jews were responsible for Arab deaths. The Jewish community of Hebron had been living continuously in the city for hundreds of years prior to 1929. Hebron is home to one of Judaism's holiest sites, the Cave of the Patriarchs. Yeshivot, or seminaries, regularly brought a steady flow of religious students to the city, and dozens of families had lived among the local Arab population peacefully for centuries. The coexistence in Hebron was in fact common to a handful of ancient Jewish cities throughout the land. For many years, the small community of 800 Jews in the ancient city of Hebron lived in peace with their tens of thousands of Arab neighbors. But, on the night of August 23, 1929, the tension simmering within this cauldron of incited Arabs bubbled over, and for a period of three days, Hebron turned into a city of terror and murder as the Arab residents led a rampaging massacre against the bewildered and helpless Jewish community. By the time that the massacre ended, 67 Jews lay dead, their homes and synagogues destroyed, and a few hundred survivors were relocated to Jerusalem. The aftermath left Hebron barren of Jews for the first time in hundreds of years. Here is a snippet from the video from Israel Advocacy's Boomerang about the Hebron massacre. Nine years ago, on August 24, 1929, a bloodthirsty Arab mob in Hebron raped, tortured, stabbed, hanged, burned, and sexually mutilated 67 of their Jewish neighbors. Children ages 3, 4, and 5 were indiscriminately murdered in front of their pleading parents, and there are 67 stories of this kind. Located in Hebron was the Slobodka Yeshiva. It was initially in the town of Slobodka. Slobodka is a neighborhood in Kovna, which is a city in Lithuania. In 1920, if I'm not mistaken, the yeshiva traveled to Israel because they, the plan was to avoid the Lithuanian draft. And they moved to Hebron, which was a very important Jewish city. It was a flourishing, thriving yeshiva. The yeshiva was founded by the Alter von Slobodka, Rabbi Nussen Finkel, who was the master pedagogue he was the architect, and his motto was Gadlut Adam, the greatness of man. And he instilled in the students always the idea that a person can achieve greatness, and you can always excel above your small, petty ideas and become a truly great individual. That's a Slobodkian concept. So in that massacre, the Arabs came into a room, and there were two Jewish students. And they began to slice them, I use the word accurately, hundreds of times. One was basically dazed, one was bleeding profusely. Said the deadly, you know, the gravely wounded student to his colleague, I'm going to die. I shall crawl upon you, my blood will smear over you, and they will think that you too are dead. His last gasping breath, his final gesticulation was to spare the life of a fellow student. That's the greatness of man until the very end. The incitement of the Arab leaders, who spread these lies with only one intention in mind, 
resulting in the bloody massacre as Arab mobs armed with hatchets, axes, swords, daggers, and butcher knives savagely hacked and decapitated the ancient and defenseless Jewish community in Hebron. I've decided to spare you the description, but it's really not to be believed. The brutality of decapitating, cutting off limbs, and here I said I'm going to spare you. And Okay, no more. There were over 500 Jews that lived in Hebron that day. The mobs went from door to door in a pogromesque search for Jews, breaking into houses and literally slaughtering all whom they found. But more than 400 of the remaining Hebron Jews were saved by some two dozen Arab families who hid them in their homes, protecting them from the bloodthirsty mobs. The summer of 1929 was one of, the, uh, was one of unrest in Palestine. As Jewish immigrants were arriving in increasing numbers, and the agitations of the Mufti in Jerusalem spurred on the Arab-Jewish tensions. Arabs spread false rumors and libels throughout their communities, saying that the Jews were carrying out, quote, wholesale killings of Arabs. There wasn't a smidgen of truth to this. The principal agitators of the Hebron massacre were the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Hajamin al-Husseini, who in statements that will echo familiarity to what happened later in the time of Arafat, saying that the Jews were taking over Al-Aqsa, which is going to result in the Intifada. So he got it all started back there in 1929. Al-Husseini was joined by other Arab religious leader, Aref el-Aref, who arrived in Hebron shortly before the riots and preached an inflammatory sermon. And directly after this sermon, totally false rumors were spread that Jews had killed Arabs in Jerusalem, that they had burned down the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they were intending to build a synagogue adjacent to the Wailing Wall, otherwise known as the Western War, Wall, or the Kotel. All of this was false, but that's immaterial. In the pogrom, in Hebron, and in Safed, Jews were murdered, and the British did nothing to protect them. This taught the Jews that they had better begin to learn to protect themselves if they wanted to stay in their holy land. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to tellerfromjerusalem.com.